In 2022, Democrats at the state capitol adopted a new voting rights law named after the civil rights activist and politician John Lewis, which is designed to address barriers that may keep some eligible voters, particularly New Yorkers of color, from exercising their right to vote. The new law, which had its implementation delayed until this summer, also prohibits diluting the electoral sway of protected classes of voters and requires jurisdictions with a history of civil rights violations to have local election-related decisions receive quote-unquote pre-clearance. For more on the impetus of this legislation and how it's being implemented in reality, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by David Imamora, the former head of the state's bipartisan redistricting commission and now a Westchester County legislator who is providing legal representation in his private capacity to a group of Mount Pleasant residents who are citing this state law in a court challenge to the town's representation model. Welcome back to the show, David. Hi, David. Great to be back. Thanks so much for having me. So for starters, with the caveat that I'm not an election lawyer, this law is described as a voting rights measure. And when Governor Hochul talks about it, say in press releases, uh, you know, she framed it in generic terms about exercising the franchise, which sounds kind of ho-hum and might make reporters like myself not give this a second look. But is it safe to say that New Yorkers shouldn't be sleeping on the potential ramifications of this act, which seems to have the potential to dramatically reshape local election laws and boundaries in certain parts of the state? Yeah, you're absolutely right, David. I mean, this law has the potential to completely redraw the map in municipal and town elections all across the state, right? And it's not just municipal elections, it's counties, it's school boards. Any local government that represents a community with us, that represents a sizable community of color is potentially subject to this act and potentially may have to revisit how they conduct elections. Well, let's take the legal challenge you're a part of. What was the impetus for that case in Westchester County? So in the town of Mount Pleasant, there's an area of the town that's heavily Hispanic. It's the village of Sleepy Hollow. The town of Mount Pleasant has four town council seats. But what happens is that the Hispanic community supports one group of candidates and the rest of the town supports another. And this happens in election after election after election to the point where only, you know, as far as we can tell, only once in a century has the Hispanic community successfully elected a candidate of their choice. And so what we are attempting to create are districts award system. We're trying to create a district specifically for the community in Sleepy Hollow so that the Hispanic community is able to have a seat at the table. There's one thing I learned from the, the redistricting commission, it's that politics is representation, right? And if you're not at the table, you're what's for lunch. And so having the ability to be at the table is an incredibly important aspect of our democracy. And so what we're trying to do here is ensure that the Hispanic community has a seat at the table, a seat that they haven't had for a century. So right now, does the town elect what are called at-large members, or are there districts that just don't favor or seem to split up the Hispanic population? So right now, the town has at-large elections, right? So it's the entirety of the town of Mount Pleasant votes in the town election. But that's what has happened is that the Hispanic community has been systematically outvoted in these elections. Um, And also, in addition, the elections are held in odd years, resulting in lower turnout from the Hispanic community. And in terms of the future that you're looking for, are are you specifically hoping for a majority-minority district in the town? Majority-minority are close to it. That's the hope 
is to have a district that the, the Hispanic community is able to elect a candidate of their choice. So Hispanic voters, though, are not a monolith. So in a municipality like Sleepy Hollow, where 50% of the village is Hispanic, couldn't they potentially split their vote the same way we see at the national level with, I think, about 61% of Latino voters going for Joe Biden in 2020? But that means nearly 40% went for someone else, presumably Donald Trump. So why is there an assumption that this would result in a Hispanic representation? Well, so what the statute envisions is it requires one of two things. One, either a demonstration of what's called racially polarized voting, right, which is an analysis of the community of color in question, whether or not they're supporting certain candidates or not as a group, and whether or not they are as a group being outvoted. The law envisions exactly your question, David, which is if you reach these statistical thresholds, if you show that the community is supporting certain candidates who are then losing Right. Only then are you meeting this statistical threshold to be able to re- require the creation of districts. Uh, the other prong is less statistically driven. It's more a look at the totality of the circumstances. And that's because in some cases, you know, you're not necessarily going to have data that is able to demonstrate with certainty that certain communities of color are supporting certain candidates. So the town of Mount Pleasant, for example, is very large. What about a school district where all of the voting occurs in a single precinct? Then it's impossible to differentiate between which people are voting for who, which community of color is supporting who, right? And so you know that's why there's this totality of the circumstances test. But in the case of Sleepy Hollow, the data is clear, the numbers are clear. You know we we are 99 percent certain statistically, right? And I'm not just saying that as a, you know, as a hyperbolic device, like there, statistically is 99.9% clear that the Hispanic community is systematically supporting candidates who are then losing in the town elections, which is why they must be given a district for themselves to be, elect, to be able to elect a candidate of their choice. So given the history of representation in the town, is this an issue where the system of voting the at-large districts would require some sort of pre-clearance and it's that mechanism that is what would allow you to check the system that's in place and potentially put in a ward system or is it the idea that the at-large districts dilute the potential emphasis and influence of the hispanic voters which is the mechanism for challenging this in court it's the latter in the current political system that they are unable to elect candidates of choice, which means by extension that every municipality in the state is potentially subject to this law. The preclearance regime, you know, and this is famous from the Shelby County case where large portions of the South and some places in New York City had to clear any voting law changes through the DOJ, the Department of Justice. That's not the case here, right? Where, you know, this law is not limited to only areas that have had past infractions or past issues. This law is potentially impacting everyone, right? Which is why it's such a big deal, which is why all municipalities and all groups should be aware that this law may impact their election. Do you imagine your case is going to serve as some sort of precedent for other municipalities, or is it the case that this law and future challenges to local voting districts will stand on their own and be heard on their own? We haven't sued yet. We're not in court yet. So this is the first action under the law so far in the entire state. 
And so what the Mount, town of Mount Pleasant has done is they have taken advantage of what's called the safe harbor provision in the law, where they say that we are reviewing your demand letter, right? We sent a demand letter saying that we were potentially going to bring a lawsuit. We are reviewing it to determine whether or not you have the statistical case that you claim. And then they have nine, they passed a town resolution to that effect in late August, and they have 90 days in which to ultimately make a change. So we are very hopeful and we are, we are first, we are very grateful to the town of Mount Pleasant that they are taking this as seriously as they are. And we are very hopeful that in the next 90 days, they will ultimately shift to award system. And we are hopeful that they'll, they will also move elections to even years as well. You know, as to whether this will be groundbreaking in terms of court, right? I and mean, that's for the town of Mount Pleasant to decide, right? If they decide that they do not want to go forward and live up to uh, what they've said in their resolution, that they will change to war award system if they meet the statistical thresholds, which we are confident they are, then we'll go to court, right? And then we will be groundbreaking in multiple ways. But I am hopeful that in this particular case, that they will be groundbreaking and you know will serve as a precedent for other municipalities, that the best course of action here is to not have a multi-million dollar legal fight in order to actively try to disenfranchise voters, right? Which is what which is what they would do if they were to fight it in court. And that the best course of action is to take advantage of the safe harbor provision, is to sit down, take a look at the options, and is to switch to a ward system or a cumulative vote system or ranked choice voting system as necessary. Well, based on your experience as head of the state's bipartisan redistricting commission, which had you traveling around the state and examining state boundaries all over New York, I'm curious whether you came across other examples of a protected class's influence potentially being diluted in municipal elections. I mean, do you think this is something that could be ripe for challenge all over New York? Yes. I mean, I think that's absolutely true, right? I mean, I'm not going to talk about specific municipalities, but I think you're talking about dozens and dozens of, mus- of school districts, of towns, of even counties that will potentially be subject to this law and will potentially have to switch to districts or change their existing district system to better uh, you know, accommodate uh, can- you know, uh, communities of color and candidates of their choice. Should we assume then that this is essentially something that will result in having more democratic officials in local office, considering that protected classes are often groups that lean to the left? Well, but I wouldn't view it as a, in a partisan way, David. Yeah, I think that if you look at the law, right, the party affiliation is irrelevant. Right, if the Hispanic community is in Sleepy Hollow was supporting the Green Party, they would have a they would have a challenge just as well as if they were supporting Democrats or Republicans. And so I wouldn't view it in terms of a part through a partisan lens. I would view it as a you know in the lens of empowering communities of color who are systematically disenfranchised. So we've been talking about the dilution aspect of this legislation, but what about that pre-clearance responsibility that some areas are going to find themselves under? Is that something that will apply to broad swaths of the state? Is it clearly spelled out, for example, under the law, who might qualify under that? Or will it be up to individual challenges, say, to local voting rules and laws to make the case that an area has historically disenfranchised or, or violated civil rights? Well, so it's kind of both, David. It's, you know, if if we bring a successful challenge in Mount Pleasant, 
the town may be subject to these preclearance requirements, right? If, if they draw districts again with the new decennial census, the town may have to have those approved by the state. Similarly, with anyone else who has had their voting, you know, voting uh, laws challenged. One of the things that the law does is it creates in the attorney general's office a new department, right, specifically for reviewing these issues. Um, and I think that that's something that's definitely very important. Yeah, I don't, I'm hopeful that we, you know, in New York won't face the same kinds of active attempts to subvert uh, democratic voting and democratic involvement as have happened in other states in the union. Um, but, you know, this is an important factor, right? Post Shelby County, where there is no, you know, where we now no longer have preclearance, right? And, you know, there's a famous Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote from her Shelby County dissent, where she says, you know, just because you have an umbrella and it's raining, doesn't mean that if you take the umbrella away, you won't get wet, right? And I think that that's what the goal of the law here was, was to create a preclearance regime to ensure that, you know, that municipalities in the state do not engage in tactics that subvert the democratic process. Well, coming back to the dilution protections in this measure and calling back on your experience with the state legislative redistricting process, do we have enough protections when it comes to drawing state Senate and state assembly lines for ensuring that protected classes aren't having their sway diluted? Because I, I know I've heard a complaint, at least in, in parts of, of New York City, that certain groups uh, are essentially having their voices uh, muted in state Senate and state assembly races. Is that your sense of things as well? Well, so, you know, I definitely salute my former colleagues who, you know, for the assembly lines. I think it's fantastic that they came to an agreement on the, the state assembly lines, a bipartisan agreement, no less. Um, you know, and I know that there has been some discussion coming out of Richmond Hill, coming of, of Ozone Park, right? And I think it's kind of up for debate whether or not those districts violate uh, the state law, right? I think it's, you know, it is a question, you know, it is an open question. But, you know, and certainly the state Senate lines, I take those having been drawn by the special master, I, I take issue with those, right? But not from the perspective of complying with either this or the Federal Voting Rights Act. It's fine from that perspective. I think the question is more, you know, whether they actually reflect communities of interest. And we'll see whether those lines are ultimately drawn, redrawn by the redistricting commission. But for these purposes, right, I think it's an open question. Well, we've been speaking with David Imamora. He is the former head of the state's bipartisan redistricting commission, and he's now a Westchester County legislator. And in his private capacity, he's representing a group of Mount Pleasant residents who are challenging the town's representation model, citing a recently enacted state voting rights law. David, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, David. Really appreciate it. Your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.